listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So we titled this series, Lord, Teach Us to Pray, because that's what the disciples asked Jesus one day. In Luke 11, it says this. Well, it also says it like this. It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he, being Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say this. And he goes on to teach the Lord's prayer. And it says he's praying at a certain place. We're not told where. It could have been on the side of a mountain. could have been a garden. I like to imagine it like a backyard here in Roebuck. You know, kind of leafy, kind of sweaty, heavy mosquitoes, but committed to prayer, we find Jesus. And the disciples are merely kind of checking them out. It doesn't say they're all praying. It says Jesus has made some space in his life to pray, to pray to God. And the disciples see him and note how humbly they're asking. They go, hey, uh, Jesus, I I see you praying. Can you teach me? And I don't know how you imagine Jesus, but notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't snap back at him. He doesn't say, oh, you guys ought to be praying more. He goes, oh, come on, guys, get, pray with me next time. Doesn't say that. He's not mean. He's not sarcastic. He's not snappy. He's not impatient. Instead, he hears their humble desire and he simply teaches them. See, church, this matters because many times we think religion or God is some secret formula I need to figure out, or I need to go find a guru on a mountain or a scholar in a tower or pay some fees and watch some videos and buy some books. When Jesus He's the opposite. He is God who's come down to us, fully God and fully man. And when we humbly ask for things, he just answers us. Lord, teach us to pray. He doesn't say anything else. He goes, okay, this is how you pray. He doesn't assume you know everything about the Christian life, but instead wants to teach us. And so that's why we're spending four weeks on just right here, these five verses or so. And we have two big hopes because Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer as a model for prayer and a motivation to pray. So my prayer for us is this, that the Lord's Prayer will become our model to pray. Our goal isn't to memorize it and repeat it all the time. This isn't Harry Potter. We're not casting spells. Memorizing the Lord's Prayer is a good thing. It's a good model to remember. This is the way Jesus taught you to pray, but it's a model to teach you. The second thing is the Lord's Prayer will motivate us to pray. That the Lord's Prayer shows us God's heart, Jesus' heart, and that that would give us a bigger picture of God and get us in touch with our needs and the world's needs. Things that desperately need prayer, us and everybody else. And so as we look at these two things, I want us to get a model because I know when we have competence, when we have understanding, our confidence picks up. When you have competence, your confidence picks up. And when you're confident, you're more likely to do something. Take swimming, for example. If you don't know how to swim, you're not going to be confident and you're not going to jump in a pool unless you're very silly like me and are okay with struggling a great deal. But when you do have competence, it leads to confidence and you're likely to jump in the pool. 
And so I want to be a model that we learn confidence to approach our God. But I also want to talk about the motivation part. It's not just enough to know more about prayer or to see how Jesus prays or have a model for prayer. It's the motivation that really matters too. I have rarely, okay, never had a meeting when someone goes, hey, Pastor Justin, can we meet? Oh yeah, man, sure. You, you want to grab lunch? I get to lunch, show up, and the person says, hey, Pastor Justin, I really want to talk. I just want to tell you, um, I'm awesome at praying. I want to spend the next hour telling you how good I am at praying and that I'm very confident in it. I'm never discouraged. I pray without ceasing. I pray like probably all the right things. And I feel so confident I want to teach everyone else to pray. And you know, I am the master of prayer. That has never happened. Not even once. I know we struggle with prayer. Everyone struggles with prayer. It's a common thing. And about 99 out of 100 people say something more like this. Prayer is an area I want to do a better job in. And if they're more honest, they say something like this. Hey, Pastor Justin, I actually feel really guilty how little I pray, and my guilt keeps me from praying more. And if they're really, really honest, they say, Hey, Pastor Justin, if I'm honest, I'm a functional atheist throughout my day. I live my life as if God doesn't exist for large stretches because I don't talk with God at all. And to be honest, I'm so confused, fearful, filled with shame and guilt that I, I don't even know what to do, or maybe prayer just doesn't work for me. Can anybody relate with that? Most of us think about prayer like a kite on the beach. My daughter insists on, we get to the beach, she's like, dad, put together the kite. This is it, we're, go we're gonna do it. This is gonna be awesome, dad. And I'll look her right in the face and say, Eloise, the tide is going out, which means there's no wind. The chance of this kite flying is zero. And she'll be like, string up the kite, dad. Let's do it. She goes, you just need to run faster, dad. <laughs> Helpful. Thank you. And we do it. The kite does not take off. I'm out of breath. And everyone's disappointed. And I think a lot of people think about prayer that way. But the thing is, God is not like the wind. Unstable, might be there, might not be there. And you just end up sweaty. That's happening this morning, but that's not supposed to be your prayer life. Instead, prayer is like a car. It's a journey that you're going on with God. But the key to turn on the car where we struggle, what makes the car go is trust. There's no sense praying to a God you don't trust. And when our vision of God gets bigger, which is where we're going today in verse nine, you start to see I'd be a fool not to trust him. That to trust myself is very foolish in comparison to how good and great God is. And when you learn that trust is the key that opens the door or turns on the car, suddenly it points out why we don't pray or why we do. When we feel like God's a God we can trust, suddenly we have all sorts of things to talk about God with. But if we don't trust him, then why would we pray at all? It doesn't make any sense to pray to our invisible God. 
So it's a model, but it's also a motivation. And over the next three weeks, we'll unpack more. But today, look at verse nine with me. I want to look a little more closely and pick it apart, just even word by word, so that we don't miss a piece of the treasure that God wants to give you, that Jesus is giving you. Look at verse nine with me. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed or make holy your name. And Jesus says what would be somewhat uh, known to these Jewish disciples, calling God Father. It happens in the Old Testament. God calls himself Father. That would be something they're kind of used to, to hearing about God as Father. But it's revolutionary to us us modern people with the philosophies and the air of our culture and in our thinking and in our veins to call God powerful father, the all-powerful God, our father, is a revolutionary idea. And whether you know these philosophers or not, this is what we're kind of swimming in. Philosophies like Voltaire, who said God is distant. He was a deist. He said God made the world and then walked away like an absentee father. And Jesus is blowing that up by saying, no, he's our father. God hasn't walked away. Instead, yes, God made everything, but he's very near each and every one of us. Philosophies like Karl Marx, who claimed God was an invention of man to be the opiate of the people, to keep the status quo, that God just keeps people complacent and keeps people docile like sheep. Well, when you pray our Father and know God your Father, you read God's Word, and you see that's not God's agenda at all. God's agenda is for you to follow Him, not the ways of this world. It's no one's opiate. It's making people come alive to their life. When you pray our Father, it challenges philosophies that come from people like Friedrich Nietzsche, who said that God is a lie. He's created by humans to make themselves feel better. It's a reflection of themselves. But the more you get to know God, who's father, you see he's our father in heaven, that God's not like us at all. He's not a reflection of me. I might be a reflection of him, but my attributes aren't God's attributes. In fact, the longer you read the Bible, the more it challenges you that God's not like us. And as Jen Wilkins says, that's a good thing. We don't want a God like, like us. I promise things and don't follow through. Sometimes I don't listen. Ask Elena. I'm growing. Hopefully, more and more. All the time we realize, yes, amen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, friends. <laughs> You're like, yes, Justin, we're going to talk later. Good. Again. We don't use our power wisely. We declare high ideals and don't follow through. We don't always know what's best, and we definitely don't know the future. Guess who does all that stuff? God. And Jesus says, he's not just someone's father. He's yours if you trust in Christ. Why do we pray to God? Because he's our father. And he actually cares. And all those philosophies, whether you're familiar with them or not, that's what's floating around trying to trick you not to trust God. And instead, trust the world or trust yourself. But prayer is acknowledging, I don't have the power. And power is a conversation that makes us so uncomfortable. Even me saying, I kind of saw the tense up, like, what are we talking about? Power? Man, what are we talking about today? Yes, God is powerful. He's truly powerful. And prayer is declaring, I know where true power is, and it's not me. 
It's a God in heaven. That's what Jesus says. He says, our Father in heaven, the God that's not like us, actually has the power to do things in this life. Therefore, you will find in life the people who pray the most, the people who pray the very most, realize their own powerlessness. That's who it is. If you want to have an amazing prayer life, realize how little control you have. Let go of your little cards of saying, well, I have a savings account. I have a good job. I have this, I have this, I have this. Let go of those things. Let go of your health. I've visited a lot of people with cancer and they're praying a lot because they've realized suddenly what was always true, that their body wouldn't last forever, that life is hard, that things are out of control. When you hit a moment of powerlessness, you get in touch with your real reality that God's holding all the cards, that God is good and can be trusted. He's our Father. But if you want your prayer life to take off, realize He is powerful and us not so much. And what a relief it is to just sigh out and go, I'm a human. I'm not God. But God loves me and wants to connect with me. That's good news, church. Can I get a couple amens? I know it's hot, but come on. My prayer, your prayer, grandma's prayer, they can all be effective as righteous people praying to God, but the power is not in the prayer, it's in the person we're praying to. Jesus cried with loud cries to his father. He was heard. He's a righteous man. If you pray with an honest heart, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, not my name. You're going to be heard. But the power is still with God. The power is from our Lord. Prideful people who think they're powerful have no need for genuine prayer. Prideful people who think they're powerful have no need for prayer. And here's how we fix this, church. We don't just beat ourselves up and say, oh, I'm not praying enough, you know, and better get to it and blah, 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 blah. I got so into being wanting ceaseless in prayer, I set a reminder on my phone for every five minutes. Yes, morning to night, it lasted for two weeks and I've never felt so defeated in my life. I was 22. And I was feeling it. And I realized I don't pray at all. And this is crushing me. And this isn't working. And the Lord probably means something a little bit different about the attitude of my heart, not just muttering things all the time, all day long. Why? Because that's not a good sign ever. All right? So the Lord is teaching us how do we start to see God as powerful and us as less powerful or not powerful. Jesus tells us, he says, hallow be your name. Now we don't use the word hallow. I, I haven't used, heard it in a sentence outside of this verse in a long time. But hallow means to honor or make holy, to set apart, to say this is the thing. Not to hallow thyself, not to honor thyself, not to make thyself holy, but to say, God, you are who you say you are. And when you rightly hallow God's name, Suddenly you start to see the distance. I'm not holy, but you 
our holy God. And it says, hallowed be the name, because when it uses the word name in the Bible, it means all of who someone is. Your name, it's all their attributes, it's all their actions, it's all their words. It's like the entire estate of you, God, is hallowed and holy, not like me. And when we start to pray, acknowledging God's the one to be honored, it's really hard to pray things for our own honor. Nothing corrects a prayer life like honoring God first in the first line. It's tough to pray to, you know, uh, for personal gain after you go, hallowed be your name, Lord. And Lord, I need a Ferrari. These don't really work together. But when you honor God first, it straightens out our heart and it straightens out our life. Honoring, honoring this church, what you were made to do. We were not creatures made for ourselves, but we're creatures made by God and for God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God made humans in his image by him. He made us and we were made for him. You were meant to thrive with God. And the only way to truly thrive in this life is to be in a relationship with God. You can be healthy, you can be rich, you can be famous. All the things that the world is convincing you will work. And it won't work and it won't satisfy you because you weren't made for those things to satisfy you. Instead, you were made for a holy God. Therefore, when we pray or when we live, if God's honor isn't coming first, we're simply heading in the wrong direction. We're getting in a car and choosing to drive in the wrong direction. We must honor God first or we're denying our design. We're denying our humanness. And Jesus is realigning us in prayer to say, be like me and honor God. Remember those bracelets like 20 years ago? What would Jesus do? You still see him occasionally? That's the heart of this. Because what Jesus would do in any circumstance is honor dad. There is never a time in Jesus's life that he was not honoring the father. He says so in John 4, 84. He goes, I honor my father. Just like we're called to honor our father, Jesus goes first in honoring his father. And we see that Matthew 6, 9 models this, but I also want it to motivate you because the biggest problem with our prayer life is our vision of God is too small. Because when God is small, why pray to him at all? And Jesus is teaching us and teaching on the character of God intentionally all around the Lord's prayer. All the teaching around the Lord's prayer is about God's character getting us to trust God. That Jesus wants us to see that the Father is worth praying to and that he is good and powerful enough to hear and answer our prayers. And so that's what I want for us this morning. I want to give us five lessons. You can see them in your bulletin that help your heart and your vision expand on who God is to motivate your heart to trust him and pray. Look with me, church. Let's turn that key with confidence. Look who your father is. First, our father hates hypocrisy because God is holy and just. Matthew 6, 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. There were people in their culture that would go to the marketplace, maybe in the mornings, and say, oh, I'll pray for the marketplace. 
look at me, I got a big robe on, and prayed big long prayers so that everyone saw them and respected them as very religious. And Jesus is looking at these very people and saying, if you pray for the applause of others, you will receive silence from God. That God will not be used. He will not be used for long. He will tear down people who do that. That God is simply too holy and just to be used for power and gain in this world. That's a God you can trust. Because we hate hypocrisy too. Sometimes it's tough to look in the mirror and see it. But man, that's a God you can trust that say no one's going to get away with it. Second, God our Father sees in secret. He's an all-seeing and omniscient is the big word for God. He sees all, Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And this is good news on a bunch of fronts. One, it says you don't have to be in church to pray. You don't got to go to a temple to pray. You don't need to light a candle to pray. You don't need to find a certain person to pray. Though The Bible talks about gathering for prayer all the time. That's fine to do too. But instead, God says something far greater and better that he actually sees you. Wherever you are, when you pray, God is with you. God sees you, even if you've shut the door and are praying in the closet of your home, God is right there. That praying all alone seems to be a practice that Jesus preferred. You can read through the Gospels and says he goes away to desolate places, wild places to go pray. He risked his life and limb to walk out alone just to be alone enough with the Father. It's okay to be alone with God. And this might really excite you to know that God hears you and sees you, or it might just terrify you that you can never outrun or hide from God. The psalmist kind of strikes this balance of ideas in Psalm 139. It says, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, hell, under the earth, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, if I go up in the air, or if I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, even your right hand should hold me. For the believer that God sees us in secret is such a wonderful promise that whether you're going to a parent's funeral, whether you're getting the worst day of your life, that God says, I'll hold your hand. For the unbeliever, I can see this is a challenging thing to say, hey, God has seen everything. There's no way to, to dress it up or hide from it or run from it or change your name. God already knows and he's there. And did you catch the great promise of prayer? I want to direct you to it again in Matthew 6, 6. Check this out. It says, your father, our father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Not maybe, not kinda, not sorta, not on Sundays, not if you behave, but God is telling you, if you go pray to him, he will absolutely reward you. What an amazing promise that God says, I will see you, I will hear you, and his reward is that he will answer that prayer. He will answer prayer. It might not be yes, but he is going to yes, wait, no, maybe, or not maybe, wait, 
or no, but God is saying when you pray alone, you have a hundred percent confidence that God has heard you and will reward you, whatever that means in God's infinite wisdom. You have never wasted a second of prayer in your life. It's not like a kite in the sand. It's not like that at all. Even if you feel like those prayers didn't get answered, God heard them and is lovingly guiding your life to him. God is with you in the darkest day of your life and in the best day of your life. And God isn't going anywhere. He's a father that isn't leaving and he's a father that's pulling you close. The third lesson to keep building our vision of God is our Father listens and rewards. He's all-powerful and omnipotent. And because God rewards, look what Jesus says in Luke 11. He teaches with this simple parable. Jesus said to him, this is right after he explains the Lord prayer in Luke. He says, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. I need some bread. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I got nothing to set before him. Big cultural expectation. You better have some bread for a friend coming to visit. And he will answer him from within and say, do not bother me. The door is shut. It's midnight, bro. My kids are in bed with me. Whole family slept together. So if dad's getting up, he's waking the whole family up to go get some bread for this guy. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence or his not giving up, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And Jesus is telling this parable that even a friend, if you knock hard enough and knock long enough, that friend will get out of bed and help you. And Jesus is saying, your God is a lot better than your friend. If your friend who's fallible will do that for you, what about a God who cares for you perfectly? That just because you feel like your prayer hasn't been answered yet doesn't mean stop asking. It means keep knocking because he's better than a friend at midnight. It's always daylight where God is. He's a friend that always has enough bread and is always willing to get out of bed because he doesn't slumber nor sleep. He is a God you can pray for and he's not asleep in your life. He's not grouchy at all. That's a God who's trustworthy. The fourth lesson we see, it's also in Luke 11, this keeps going, that our Father does good to us always. He's omnibenevolent. He is the true benevolent one. Verse 9 says this, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a snake or serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How many of us struggle deep down that if I ask and pray for an egg, God will give me a scorpion? A lot of us have had scenarios where we asked an authority figure, we asked a friend, we asked a family member for something, and we got sarcasm or snapped at. And I don't want you to take those painful things and put them on our perfect God. God is better than all those memories. He is truer, 
And he promises if you need a fish, he's not giving you a snake. God's not holding out on you. God's listening and actually wants to feed you all the way down to your soul. That's why the key is trust and he's trustworthy. God has never passed out a scorpion once. We may think of that. We may blame God for things, but we're missing the picture. We're not trusting that God is who he says he is in those moments. Instead, Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and it will be opened to you and you will receive. A lot of us struggle to put the car, the key in the car again, because things have happened in our life that we just don't want to think about or do anymore. So I'd rather put the trust in me, put the keys in my back pocket and just wander around in the woods instead of getting back on the highway. And I think my invitation to you is to see that he's our father who is in heaven, whose name is to be hallowed, that he's a God you can trust. And the reason you can trust God is this fifth lesson that he's our father is near us. Listen to how Jesus talks about his dad. Jesus says this in John 14, 18. says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come for you. When you feel like an orphan in this life, there's moments you feel alone. You're disappointed. Jesus is promising, I will come for you. And you might say, okay, that's Jesus. That's not the father. Look at John 10.30. I, Jesus, and the Father are one. God is three, Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, but God's also one. Wherever the Jesus is, so is the Father, so is the Spirit. God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't leave us as orphans. It's His idea for us to call Him Father. He's a God who comes for us. He's a God that's near us. But look at John 15.9 with us. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's a simple phrase, but notice what Jesus is doing. The love that God the Father has with Jesus is the same, so I have loved you. The quality of Jesus and God's love is the same that Jesus loves you with. We don't have a secondary love. Our view of God is too small, so we don't pray. Our view of God's love is too small. So we have all these reasons not to put the car keys in, but I'm giving you a reason to shove the car keys in and go ahead and hit the gas pedal. That if God loves you like he loves Jesus, then that's love you can abide or live in. What if you lived in the love of God? How would that change taking your needs to him first? See, we know God loves us because Jesus was sent to die for us. Jesus didn't have to die for us. Jesus, fully God and fully man, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect life, taught for three years, taught about prayer, taught about trusting God, but ultimately died for us and saved us by dying on a cross for us, for our sins, but also to bring us home to God that we could call him Father and be welcomed into the house of God. Jesus didn't stay dead, but rose from the dead as Lord of the universe, guaranteeing all he says can be trusted. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. 
Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.